0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, in this episode 143. I am joined today by my co-host. Uh, you know him from sending amazing tweet threads, uh, ranging from the angriest to the most joyful person on Twitter at times. Uh, but he is looking forward to Saturday as much as I am. That is Stacy Patton, at StaceyPatton89. Stacy what's going on? Uh,
1: if you mean looking forward, do you mean have an impending sense of doom?
0: Yes. That's uh, precisely what I mean. Then
1: yes. Uh, <laughs> doing well. I am sweating out a four-point fantasy lead over an opponent that has Saquon Barkley. I think you'll be fine. I- I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> so I, don't- I was hoping that the Bucks would just get out to a large lead and the Giants would stop passing. So the fact that that hasn't happened still has me sweating a
2: little bit. But uh, Won't make a difference.
0: Uh, But you just heard his voice. We have a first-time guest of the pod. He is a member of the Strickland Discord. Uh, You might know him from Twitter. His name is Omar Youssef. That's at Omar Youssef92. Omar, what's going on?
2: What's going on? I guess uh, you can call me a trailblazer of the Strickland Discord (laughs) to actually get on the pod, uh, which is ironic because... R.J. Barrett might be a trailblazer by the deadline.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Damn,
0: fucking coming in hot. This is after a full day of fucking praising Tyler Hero in the Discord for Omar. Oh. Oh, uh, time walked
1: so that game time could run, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Before we get started, uh, I do need to mention, Strickland does have a Patreon now. You can find it at patreon.com slash the Strickland or on our homepage at the Strick.land. Pod Strickland on Monday is still free. Draft Strickland is still free. Alex, Zach, and Matt's mail.bag is still free. And we will likely be adding another free podcast to the lineup at some point. We have things in progress. Uh things that are changing. Pod Strickland on Friday, this podcast right here, and my mailbag with Jeremy uh and Drew. That will be available on the Patreon $6 tier or above. Also, if you subscribe to the Patreon $9 tier or above, uh, you will get access to my solo podcast and also exclusive weekly articles from both Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, uh, two of the best Knicks writers and flat-out basketball writers uh, out there today. Uh, If you want even more access to us, you can join the $15, $30, $50, or $100 tiers, which include a ton of benefits, ranging from watch parties, sitting in on pod recordings, Guest appearances on podcasts, and even potentially hosting a podcast alongside yourself. Alongside myself, I should I guess I should say. Uh, but no matter what, if you're a Patreon patron or not, we thank you for your support. Uh, none of this would be possible without you. And without further ado, let's get back to the podcast. So the Knicks had an interesting week of games. Uh they had a pretty awesome win against Indiana. Then they blew another just totally dispiriting loss to the Magic, which they followed up with one of the worst possible efforts you could ever have in a win against the Rockets at home. And then they lost yesterday in Chicago in a game that, like, there was stuff that I was annoyed by, but I largely came out of that game like, if they just play like that all the time, they're going to be fine. But we've been here before. We said this after the—I said that after the Indiana game. If they play like this all the time, they're going to be fine. The problem is they have not proven to have that consistency. And, um, you know, that's something that can develop. But, like, I think there are things that are concerning about the issues they have consistently are, I mean, they're consistent. Um, the the in, Their inconsistencies are consistent. I guess that's one way to put it. And, you know, it's obviously there's a lot of making and missing shots that are at play here. RJ Barrett is in one hell of a slump. Evan Fournier, bar that. I don't even want to call it a breakout against the Rockets, but bar that game, uh, he's been in a slump. Kemba has been there, Uh, you know. There's just a lot of stuff going on and a lot of inconsistencies. But like more than the making and missing shots, I think we would all agree that it's it goes beyond that. Am I? Am I? It's not. That's not the part that's really killing me. I don't know about you, Stacey. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, the inconsistency is is annoying
1: i think there's a lot that goes into it um there's times where i almost feel like early in the season some of their variance was due to t- a lot of taking a lot of threes i think a lot of people were like you know maybe they're maybe you shouldn't just jack up all the threes and sometimes i wonder if they've overcorrected for, for that um and it's a it has them thinking a little bit more uh, i think that pertains to rj and fournier in particular um, but um but no yesterday was pretty encouraging. Um, you know, as I speak, the Bucks have a forty one point lead on the Magic. So right. that's that's really disconcerting. Uh but on the flip side, the Pacers have a twenty one point lead on the Bulls and the Knicks did beat them and they've beaten them twice. Uh and they played the Bulls tough twice. I think what's really frustrating, um, beyond the fact that it's just tough to see them play that poorly, you know, and it, it's you know, the Magic played hard, but that Rockets game really seemed like a lot of self inflicted wounds. Um, you know, not to take away from the Rockets who who played hard themselves, but it's just a different talent level and the Knicks just weren't cohesive or energetic at all. The problem with, with how they play is, you know, you take a game like last night, and I think for me, on the one hand I'm like, I, I can't really hugely criticize their performance. They played well. To your point, if they play like that, they will be okay. But the thing is it's gonna be a tight eastern conference. There's nine, ten, 11, like there's really only two teams that are not going to be making a run for play in playoff. Well, and
0: your point they they punted two games against the Magic. Like the, the, the Cavs one, I know people got really pissed about that, but like the Cavs are actually like playing it, they're one of those, basketball.
1: They're one of those thirteen teams. And they are also just a bad matchup for the Knicks, um, because of all the bigs. Um, yeah.
0: but like the the Magic games were just, you know, it was a joke. Um, the first one you can somewhat understand you beat them by like 50 the first game you let your guard down okay you know that happens it's a very it's very annoying don't get me wrong but that happens right like you can understand that at least on a, on some level the second one is just so unacceptable and what was so frustrating with that game was like it it wasn't like the magic play like the magic didn't play so well that you could be like just one of those nights it was just like such uh there's just like this level of arrogance and almost like like they don't want to do the work half the time like it's like they like want to start the game up 30 and then they can just coast for like you know the rest of the time and it's like that's just not how it works like you got to like earn those leads and then when you get those leads you've got to fucking put teams away because this is like here's the other thing they have blown multiple double double digit leads this year and i know this is a different nba teams blow leads like this all the time but there's a difference that's between, all the more
1: reason not to
0: take the throw. Right. And, and I think there's a difference when, like, you can't put away a team like the Magic versus, like, you get up double digits against, I don't know. Uh, I can't even think of the game that they blew double-digit losses. That was against a good team. Hornets. Um, Hornets. Yeah, Hornets. Or, or uh, you know, even the first game of the season against Boston, they nearly fucking blew that shit. Um they and blew I, the
1: first game against the Bulls, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's just, there's, there's just, like, this level of, like, you know, they they get into these situations and then it just feels like the bulls one is a little bit different because i didn't feel like complacency to me or i I guess even the boston one wasn't complacency it felt like they started to get tight and also just did really stupid things that you shouldn't do Um, particularly kemba in that first boston game like i that was one of the most absurd things i've ever watched in my life um but yeah like it it, like the, the magic ones and the hornets one even it just felt like we're up 15 okay now it's time for us to like Fucking go Harlem Globetrotters on these motherfuckers and like start doing like bullshit ISO possessions. Um, Omar, I, I don't know. I know you had plenty to say about the Knicks struggles this year, but like, I mean, just on that broader point, before we get into like specific players and stuff, like what I mean, do you think it's just like a mental thing or do you think that it's uh, it's something about the way the team itself is constructed and plays?
2: Well, first, let's um, let's start on a positive note. I actually thought yesterday was actual progress. Yeah. Unlike the Houston game or even the (laughs) Indiana game where they kind of just squeaked out the victory. Um, I thought Indiana was kind of progress until I saw them again against Orlando in person and saw the (laughs) effort they put forth. But yesterday actually felt like tangible progress where you saw some um, synergy, at least in the third quarter between Julius and Kemba. Um, They played with, a little bit of intensity in the third quarter that we hadn't seen for quite some time. Um, I don't know. It's uh it's kind of funny. You go back to that first Orlando game at the garden when they were up 12 or 13 at the end of the third quarter. And it just kind of seems like they took the foot off the gas in a way that you never saw last year from them. Um, yeah. They
0: blow leads, but it was usually, it was usually because of like, that's those that their talent level limitation, right?
2: Yeah and you're seeing a consistent pattern of how this team closes out quarters poorly. Um, Whether if it's a turnover or just a bad couple of possessions and they let up back-to-back threes. But um, I think what's obviously most concerning is how some of the players seem to be completely out of sync when they're playing with Julius or Kemba. Um, And, I'm not sure what buttons Tibbs needs to press. What do you guys think, um, other than starting lineup changes, what would you like to see tactically done in the game plan?
0: Um, Well, actually, I want to touch on something you mentioned yesterday that it felt like progress. I will say, like, Tibbs has gotten a lot of criticism for various fourth quarter lineups. I criticized him yesterday for a strategic choice he made in the fourth, which, like, he kept trying to get Caruso switched on to Julius. And I know Caruso had five fouls. I just thought that, like, DeRozan's cooking on the other side of the court. Like, make him work on defense. Make him have to, like, like get him on fucking Julius. I want to see DeRozan's soft ass trying to fucking guard Julius in the post. All right? I, I'll pay money to watch that shit. Um, but I, I didn't like that. But I also think that there's stuff here, like, it's really hard to constantly have to figure out what your best five to close the game is. And that is strictly down to kemba walker and evan Fournier, like whatever rj struggles are i think he trusts rj to at least be like like he knows what rj is going to do on defense right and like he he trusts him enough for that and other, besides that one week where rj decided to like play like the dumbest defense ever uh culminating in that horrific cornets game like defensively he's been fine to me uh you know back cuts exist but like for the most part he, he still looks like the same plus defender to me um but um yeah, like, those guys have not had it going at all. And more than not having it going, they've just, like, not even been able to impact the game without scoring. So you really worry, like, like if you can't trust them to score even, then it's really hard to trust them in the fourth quarter. And that you know, obviously, we know all the Knicks' struggles in the third quarter this season with the starters. Um, but what I like that he did yesterday, um, and I don't remember him doing this in previous games, is he pulled Kemba pretty early in that first quarter, and then he pulled Fournier pretty early in the first quarter. And I don't think he didn't come back with Kemba for sure at all in the first half. I don't think he came back with Fournier either in the first half. Um, I th- I like that. I thought it sent specifically to Kemba. I think it sent him a message like, hey, look, like, like, I want you to be our guy. But if you're going to be our guy, then you got to fucking be out there, like, participating and competing. And, like, it's kind of weird because Kemba's issues on defense are well documented. But I have had less of an, a problem with his defense because i you know i came in like understanding what those size limitations are going to be right like you you come into that eyes are open you know what exists there but i think he's competed pretty hard on defense i think he's like generally trying to do the right things so i can live like there's limitations it is what it is for me it's the offense that's been so like just destroying soul destroying to watch at times where he's like it's like you're not running point you're just like out there providing better spacing than Alfred Payton did like is that really what we want here we want more right so um to me like to see him just kind of like be like "Nah, you're not coming back in for the rest of the half because you're playing like fucking bullshit right now you're not competing you're not really doing anything out here so you're, you're gonna sit and then he came back I don't think it was a coincidence that in the third quarter I'd say Kemba probably had his best I thought that was his best quarter of the season um i thought it wasn't and, just
1: hot shooting right, yes
0: dude? exactly it, it was like he was actually drawing defenders he was getting into the into the paint he was you know maybe not the best playmaking but he was playmaking for others he was running two-man game with julius i thought he did a really good job of getting julius the ball in favorable positions and spots which is it's different than like just giving the ball to Julius and actually getting the ball to Julius in spots that are advantageous for him in situations that are advantageous for him. Those are different things. And I thought he did a much better job of that in the third quarter. Um, I thought he was unlucky not to close the game, but again, like this is the problem is he hasn't shown this season yet prior, like to be reliable to close games. So like, even though he had it going and Rose really didn't yesterday and quickly, like, you know, he was one of eight from three, but like, I, like you underst I to me, I just understood why Tibbs closed with those guys, even with the struggles they were having. And I understood why he didn't go back to Kemba or Fournier, um specifically Kemba who was actually having a good game. It just sucks. But like it's on him to change that. Because if he plays like he did in the third quarter consistently, he's definitely gonna close games. He's gonna close a lot of games. Um and and really like that's what it boils down to is like he's here to make a difference on offense, not to just be like a miniature George Hill. And So, I guess, like, from a tactical perspective, I'm not sure that that answered your question at all. But, like, I'd liked kind of Tibbs' Tibbs' choice to, I don't want to say punish him, but, like, send a message. Like, hey, look, like, I'm not just going to keep putting you out here if you're not giving me anything. Um, And tactically, I, I, like, look, I think we all know the offense could be a little bit more imaginative at times, especially late in games. Um, But I, I didn't, like, I mean, like... It's funny because we always say like, "Oh, Tibbs just goes to this ISO ship," but like, really, what what did Chicago do tactically that was much different? Like, I think they capitalized on the help that we were sending, but like ultimately, what they were doing was have well, they were the... doubling
1: aggressively on
0: Julius, yeah. right? So they, I mean, they were following the Hawks' blueprint,
1: put a wingish defender on him, and send help, and then um, help on the nearest pass. So there were times where like the, the corner. Uh, there were there were times one adjustment I could see the Knicks making in that situation. There were times where Randall would be on on one baseline, uh, you know, twenty feet from the hoop, and you'd get doubled. And then the open guy is Rose, but he's you know on the complete opposite side of the court with multiple middle guys who could pick that off, and it's just tough for Julius to see. One thing that might be worthwhile is to explore maybe a cut there. Uh, I know they liked that action with Alfred last year. RJ's done it a few times this year. If you. Yeah. Kind
0: of so,
1: um, yeah, so th- those kind of things can help. Um, but that's really the tactical thing they did. Um, I get why, I mean, I think that one plan that the Knicks seem to have um, is, you know, the the Bulls have, the, the Bulls, they don't have, I mean, Brad, Tony Bradley's solid, but they don't have some kind of elite rim protector. They don't really have anyone big at the four, So they play this kind of scrappy, uh, go for a lot of steals, try to get in transition, play aggressively on the perimeter with Caruso, Alonzo. Levine, by the way, has I I was really impressed with this defense yesterday for the most part. A couple of <coughs> just Levine possessions, but for the most part he was really good, particularly in transition D. Um, but that was that was what they did. So I, I got why they the the Knicks they were getting the calls. So they wanted to basically just ISO Randall. Have him post up. He's added that little hook shot in the, you know, on the turnaround to so that he doesn't just only have to go to the fadeaway. I actually, there's been some ugly shots out of that, but I get why why he's doing that because it shouldn't just be fadeaway or try to get a layup. If you can't get the layup, then that little baby hook or like baby hang in the air, soft, um, kind of push shot um, can be a nice counter there. But they, I mean, I think they they're successful in getting the Bulls in foul trouble. And I I think, by the way, I think the Bulls have way exceeded my expectations. Um, But I think if there is a way to attack, that is part of it. Where they're going to play small ball, so just beating them with ball movement or trying to beat them off the dribble is not going to work as well. Bully ball with the way that they send help on its own isn't going to work. But if you can get deep position, if you can draw fouls, uh, you know that's where I think that the Bulls might struggle a little bit. With someone, they struggled a bit with Julius, obviously. But if they have to face someone like Giannis or Embiid or someone like that in the playoffs, Embiid is a true center, so they'll have a slightly different strategy. But those kind of four or five hybrids could give them a lot of problems when they, you know, given their style. And I I didn't hate the idea to go after that. I do agree they should have attacked Rosen more um, and and forced him on switches. But I think the Bulls, you know, the Bulls were pre-switching and doing things to mitigate that as well, right? Just like the Hawks did last year. Um, so it is kind of tough, but um, overall, I like the game plan from yesterday. In terms of overall tactical adjustments, um, I mean, I think um, it's tough. I would like to see more Randall and Obi together. I, I actually was not happy that Obi didn't close the game. Um, at the time, I wanted RJ to sit. Going back and watching, he actually had a lot of really good defensive possessions.
0: And, and he, he was like, I don't know what Tibbs told. I don't know if it was a point of em- emphasis for him, but like, I don't think, like, yeah, look, we all know it. Like, the shooting's got to come around. The scoring's got to come around. There's no way around it. He really has to pick up, pick it up. Um, cause, and he had 15 but, rebounds, right? That yeah, was... but he had 15 fucking rebounds, and I don't think it was like, like, it wasn't, it really felt like a targeted thing. Like, it was like, he was really
1: aggressively. And he was getting a lot of those. I mean, I didn't look at the contested board sets. A lot of those in the fourth, he had big, he had one big defensive lapse, um, Prez. <laughs> Pres made a point of emphasis of this on Twitter, uh, but late in the game, you know, he doubled, um, I believe, DeRozan. He dug down, or he didn't double, but he he dug down and he turned his back to Levine, who was his man. And then when the kickout happened, he just was in no position to make any kind of a, a good closeout. But other than that, but so so going back, I understand. But uh, the fact of the matter is, they have an impactful player in Obi Toppin, who is not getting minutes, and I don't think he can only play the four as an excuse. He's shown rim protection. The three point shot has looked better of late. He gives them a different energy. I at this point I think he does add to their defense. Um so I just find creative ways to get him involved.
0: Yeah, that's and I also to your point, like if you want to say Obi and Randall lack rim protection, so it's hard to like play them together, there's issues with defensive rebounding, sure, that's all fine and, and true and I understand it. But like and look, this is where ultimately Tibbs is going to prove himself or he's going to get canned is like in 2021, you cannot just sit around and and play your same base defense. And that's all you do. Like you have to be versatile. You have to be willing to play different ways. Um, Randall and Obi have like what you can do with them at the four and the five is you can speed up a game you can't and like yes it might result in you giving up open corner threes it might result in teams getting shots at the rim more but it also might result in you getting turnovers if you start aggressively trapping it might result in teams rushing into shots uh which allows you to get into transition like there's upsides and downsides to playing them together but the upsides it, it feels like in Tibbs's mind because neither of them can be a good rim protector and because he doesn't trust OB as a rebounder which to be fair uh totally valid um, because he doesn't trust that. Like he is unwilling to try it. And I thought yesterday was a pretty bad, like it, it, it he played 13 minutes last night. He played less than like, I think Noel played 26, not piling on Noel because he kind of gutted it out last night. I thought he definitely wasn't a hundred percent. He's obviously coming back from an injury. um, But like, I just thought it OB was more impactful. He was had the ability to do more. Um, and you know, like, I just think you have to be willing to be a little bit more flexible tactically and what you do with those guys, because, um, you know, like I was a pretty big skeptic of like Randall and Obi working together, but you know, the more I have seen of Obi this season, the more bullish I am on it, because I think that like offensively he brings stuff to the table that we really need in terms of his willingness to, you know, uh, we were talking about this in the discord earlier today about how, like, I, I forgot. I think Drew Drew was saying, like, you know, he was trying to draw a comparison in terms of style of play between Lowry and Chris Paul. And what I actually said is, like, I was like, actually, like, you know, look, I'm not saying Kyle Lowry is nowhere near the offensive weapon uh, that Stephen Curry is. But, like, stylistically, he plays a lot more like Steph Curry, right? Because he's, like, always moving off ball, like, hunting space, setting screens, stuff like that. Uh, obviously, I think Omar will be the first to tell you uh, that Obi Toppin's screens are not exactly... Um, effective at times Uh, but he's always running around trying to set screens he's always hunting space he's always you know he's always moving and challenging the defense in a lot of ways to the point they have to like honor him and he he's always moving and he's like setting up DHOs like he he kind of like activates a lot of guys in the team just because of how he plays Um, and I think this team needs that and you know I I just it's like there's a value to players like that, that isn't necessarily going to be captured just by looking at their individual box score, which isn't to say like OB wasn't doing anything in the box score. He clearly was, but like there is a value there that he provides that I don't think um, is is necessarily even captured with his improved play this year. It's, it's like he, he energizes the team in a very specific way. And I think this team really could use that in a lot of nights um, and just in a lot of different matchups. So you know if there's change and the, and look I'll, I'll be quite honest here's the other uh, change i would make if i was you know tibbs and i didn't give a shit about the optics and the politics of shit i would just start quickly over at kemba like i i really don't care i, I just think that quickly is a better fit for what that lineup kind of needs to blend different guys together i think he gives it um you know, to me, he's shown a little, he's shown more ability to penetrate and get into the teeth of a defense and not even just like score from there, but he's shown way better playmaking instincts to me than Kemba has. He's also shown a better ability to organize the team in the half court, get them into offense consistently. Um, and, you know, I, I think that these are things that really matter. Obviously, realistically, I've talked about this before. I just, I don't see how you can, you can't sign Kemba and punt on that. What are we like 17 games in the season? Like, I, whether we all think it's smart or whatever, it doesn't really matter. It's not a realistic option. Um, But like, yeah, look, I've talked about this. I think I would start Burks over Fournier. Um, I think that would benefit both units. Uh, And the other thing I would like to see is I would pull RJ a little bit quicker in the first quarter. And then I would like to bring him back in sooner uh, to get more reps with the bench because I think he would really benefit... Ah, uh, from playing with a more up-tempo group that pushes the pace better um, than than the starters do. Um, so th- those are a couple of things I would like to see. Uh, you know, I also would like to see a little bit more, let's just say, uh, attention to detail as far as helping off of these weak side corners um, defensively. But like, yeah, I mean, I I think I still like believe this team will go on a run at some point. Uh, I know it's, like, not right now, it seems like fucking, you know, fucking the end of the world. But um, I kind of—I am I think they're getting there. I think they are getting there, um, and, and it's coming. But I will also say this. I thought yesterday was an encouraging Julius performance. Um, I know, like, he took a lot of mid-range jumpers, but it felt like he was getting into mid-range shots that that he is good at. Like, he was in his comfort zone yesterday versus taking— Mid range shots that I don't like, like that are just that seem forced. If that makes sense, I don't know if you guys agree with that. What do you
2: think, Omar? Julius definitely got a little bit of his swagger back yesterday. Um, you know, actually, back to Stacy's point before the maybe uh-huh. putting in Ob in over RJ at the end. I actually would have put in um, Ob over Rose. Yeah, yep, and have quickly run point. You know, I think one thing that you got, you know, we're seeing here is that Tibbs understands that. At the end of these games, he needs to have at least Julius and RJ out there. And I know we're very concerned about the starting lineup. um, And it could use a change. Maybe Berkson for Fournier really helps. Um, Obviously, Quickly would be great (laughs) instead of Kemba. But really what's most important here is that Tibbs needs to figure out a crunch time five. And he's searching right now. And he knows those two ringers need to be out there um, at the end of every game. And... If we don't have a lineup that he feels comfortable going to, you're going to see, especially with you know tough competition coming up, we're going to be in a lot of close games, and he needs to have a reliable five down the stretch that he can trust. Um, and I just thought, especially now like with our offense, which is still kind of freelancing, there's not a lot of offensive sets or, or movement or screens being set off ball. You know, have, having Obi in there can steal you a couple garbage buckets. You know whether if it's in transition or putbacks or just his general energy of how he moves around, um, I think it's you know that's an important quality to have, uh, especially when Julius is getting doubled. If you have a a cutter like Obi, Um, so yeah, I would have gone Obi over Rose and just ran quickly, Burks, R.J., Obi, and Randall, Um, and yeah, try my try my luck with that. You know because. We got to still think long term with this team. And if we keep, you know, trying to just not have Julius in at the end of games or not having RJ in at the end of games, it's not going to be a fruitful endeavor when we're trying to win down the stretch and hopefully in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I also think like this can't be said enough the, the the like kind of revolving door at the five has not helped this team at all. Um, is out of Tim's control yeah. yeah yeah that's not like I'm not yeah of course totally not blaming Tim's there Um, but like like Mitch has not been able to finish games like he he didn't finish he obviously looked the concussion was weird like that was not his fault that was actually bullshit that should have been a, at least an offensive foul uh, you can argue that should have been a flagrant on Jay Sean Tate because he clearly wound up and you know elbowed him in the face Um, yeah I mean he's lucky that
1: Mitchell Robinson didn't uh, pull a beef stew on him
0: yeah yeah he is lucky um but like yeah look he's in concussion protocol so i think that's usually what like a week minimum um so he's gonna miss some time uh but like that that's definitely a problem i really think like last night was a game if mitch is healthy i I think we we crush them like i I really do think that because his like they have nobody on that roster that could keep him off the glass they just don't and and,
1: counter to that would be so yeah I would have liked to see Obi take a few minutes from Nolan's Noel. I actually thought there was zero reason for Sims to be in there. I didn't think he was that bad, but I... I it's the ridiculous, that, Stacey, that <laughs> he was in there. The yeah, fact like, that we're like giving that's right minutes you have Obi.
0: to give to Obi. I'm like, yeah. it just doesn't matter. Like, you just have to play Obi yeah. there. I don't really give a
1: shit. But one thing I will say, um, this is something I've been hesitant to say because I did not think this was the case last year, but Noel has been better in pick-and-roll defense than... Um, than mitch so do you think that would have hurt us a little bit more
0: no because i think ob the last couple games i I really think he was
1: Yeah, i'm talking about mitch versus noel though
0: yeah yeah but i'm saying i think mitch like the last couple games i really thought he was looking much sharper much much sharper on defense um even the indiana game where he i mean i think he was like a minus 10 or some shit like that but like he had a couple blocks in that game that he has not been making in pick and roll like he had one where brogdon kind of had an angle at the rim and he just swallowed it up like he just you know he t- reached out his left hand and literally just corralled it um he's had a few of those last few games i thought in that houston game he was by far our best player um he him and him and quickly were by far our best players i thought oh, burks burks went off in the fourth quarter that was crazy but like i thought for the majority of the game mitch was the one starter you could look at and were like okay well at least he's not embarrassing himself um i thought he closed that game too if i remember correctly he he just played really well in that game he closed the game until the hip
2: injury, was it?
0: Or was that the Pacers game? I don't remember. I'm, like, mixing up. The
2: Pacers game was the hip yeah. injury.
0: But, um, yeah, like, I just think that there's... there's He was close. So, I'm not... I, I agree with you, though, broadly. Like, Noel has definitely been better than him in pick-and-roll defense. But, like, I think you're you're starting to see that, like, he's getting his legs under him. He's getting those game reps in. I, I said at the start of the season, pretty consistently, like around fifteen, twenty games. That's when I expected him to um, kind of start picking it up, and that's kind of what happened. So clearly, I'm a doctor, and you should listen to me. Um, but yeah, like I, a I just Indian doctor. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. I'm <laughs> <she's> so proud. <laughs> yeah, they they're like, well, what do you do? I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I have a podcast, talk about the mix a lot. I'm like, God, listen to a doctor. Um, but uh yeah, like I, I just think that Mitch is, you know, uh, I just thought last night was really a game he would he would have feasted in. But um to your broader point, yeah, hundred percent. Noel's been really good, big role defense. Um and like I said, I thought last night he was gutting it out because of kind of like a situation with the team. And I did um, think he
1: played well yesterday overall. Um yeah, there were a few fouls I didn't like. Um but uh, he God, I,
0: I just was, wish he could grab the fucking ball sometimes man it's so think, like
1: you notice it so much there were like I think it was Benji or Tom Piccolo posted a, a nice pass from IQ IQ has been finding by the way OB IQ we know can't get all the way to the rim but when he gets to the baseline and he gets cut off OB has been great at cutting along that baseline but there was one pass that was clipped and like IQ didn't have a good angle so he had to throw it away from his body and it was really like a Grump catch, right? Where Obi just kind of stretched his hands out, caught it like it was no problem, and dunked it. Um, all in part of his cut. There, there's. I mean, I, I don't know that there's anyone else in the roster who can even Mitch can do that. I know Nero's no one can't do that, right? So
0: yeah,
1: uh, it's it's just it's a stark difference. And and
0: also, like I think he, it's you know there's so many there's defensive possessions where like he just can't get rebounds because he's like he's like flailing he can't his hands suck like
1: he's trying but he got called for one foul yesterday he was pissed off about where i don't think it it, might have it was tony bradley but he like he kind of like tony bradley had position and noel couldn't move him so he basically like grabbed him or like he kind of tackled him yeah he's like but like and i'm like i'm happy that he's not just you know dying out there the way he did against capella and, and others last year um, but no, like that's not going to fly either. <laughs> you have to be able to move the guy. Um,
0: yeah, but like, yeah, I, I just thought, you know, whatever, but here, I will say this. So for tomorrow's game, we know LeBron is out, um, ducking the Knicks again. So uh, is
1: Rose apparently, right?
0: Well, Rose is questionable. Todd is questionable. I just wouldn't play them because you have the opportunity. Now you play Tuesday. You're not going to play another game until Friday. You got to back to back to back Friday, Saturday. Like, just let Rose sit. Like, he give him Monday, give him Tuesday. Like, he basically gets four days off then. Um, like, let him have it. Let him get his. I don't, he's looked like we've, we've abused him to start the season because the starters have been that fucking bad that we've needed Rose to like bail us out so many fucking times. Um, I just, I think he needs a little bit of time. Give him the time. Just don't fucking play him tomorrow. Give, like, just let IQ, IQ can run the fucking bench lineup. He's fine, dude. Like, IQ's made. So much progress this year. I don't give a shit what his stats are. I don't care about his shooting splits. I don't care about any of this stuff with him because if you're just watching him play, it's so obvious how impactful he's been, how good he's been. Um, he's easily the best point of attack defender on the team. It's him or Burks. I think he's been better than Burks. Um, I think Jalen Green uh, had to pee his pants when IQ like, was defending him in the fourth quarter. Um but like great. Yeah.
1: IQ he also is...
0: locked up Lonzo
2: a couple
1: of times. I mean, any one
2: of us can lock up Lonzo in the half court. <laughs> <laughs> Just make him smell you a little bit.
0: Uh, Bulls are down 31, by the way, but I'm happy they won their Super Bowl yesterday.
2: And another opponent
1: of the Knicks was down 40. Let me check the game. They're down
0: 46 right now, the Magic. fucking <laughs> terrible.
1: Um, <laughs> but, like, but I mean, I just They think have that... less than half the Bucks
0: points. Yeah. But, but, yeah, I mean, I just think that, you know, um, with look we can we got to talk about it uh RJ Barrett has shot like shit for the past I don't know 11 games or something um I think he hasn't shot over 40% in 11 games from the field something like that um hasn't yeah it's definitely concerning Toronto. yeah it's definitely concerning I will say this and I haven't I don't like using injuries as an excuse especially when you don't know it and I haven't I haven't used I haven't said anything about it uh at all during this entire slump because if he's injured, I don't know. I can't say anything. Um, I thought yesterday he actually looked injured to me and we've been talking about this. Me and Omar were talking about this, uh, for a while today, we kind of disagreed on it. Omar was like saying, he thinks he looks a little leggy. Like he, maybe he has a lower body injury. I actually think it's his hand. Uh, cause he was grabbing at it a few times yesterday. And I also think it's weird how like, you remember one of the, one of the things that was really, really promising about his early season start was like how often he was going to his right. Um, And he's, like, kind of stopped doing that a lot. Uh, I mean, there's odd plays here and there where he does. But, like, even when he goes to his right, he's doing the thing where he comes back and tries to finish with his left anyways. Um, That was something that he had kind of, I don't want to say erased from his game, but had limited uh, and had kind of adjusted early on in the season. And it's kind of, it's regressed a bit. And I just wonder, and, like, there was one drive in transition yesterday in the second half where he drove, Zach Levine made a really, it was a queen strip. It was a really, really good play for him in transition. Um, But afterwards you could kind of see like him shaking his hand and RJ is not one to bitch. I'm not making excuses for him because if you're out there, you got to be out there. Like if you're hurt, then just sit. But if you're out there, then you have to play at a certain level. Um, But like, I I do think he is playing through something. Uh, And you know, does that excuse like that doesn't excuse that week of bullshit as uh, me and Stacy talked about with uh, Rohan on our last pod. But like, you know, the defense has picked up again. The scoring hasn't come there, uh, hasn't picked up. But, like, I really do think he's dealing with something. But, uh, yeah, Omar, what do you think?
2: Was it his left hand that was bothering him after Levine stripped him, or was it right, his right hand?
0: I think it was his right I'd have to go back and watch. I'm not sure. Either way, it's, it just looked like, you know, I just – once you see that, I'm like, you know, because RJ is not one to, like, you know, grimace and, you know, make sure everybody yeah, yeah, knows she's sure. playing through sure, pain or tough. whatever. Yeah, so um, I thought that stood out to me.
2: It's funny you say that because earlier in the game, and he's done this a couple of games now where he's actually like on the right side of the paint. And instead of trying to like take it all the way with his right hand, he tries this little lefty push shot. Yeah. It always yeah. seems to kind of just go in and out. Um, I think he still looks kind of leggy, you know, you know, Stacey and I, I think we tweeted about the first like six or seven games in the season, especially after New Orleans and Toronto, um, where athletically, he looked better than ever. Yeah. He looked a little bit quicker. He was getting a little more lift at the rim.
0: He looked smoother, too.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was just more fluid. Like Remember that little hesitation move to his right hand against the Pelicans that he had that he kind of froze heart with? Like We yeah. haven't seen that at all since. And I don't know. He just he just looks stiff when he's trying to turn a corner now. Like whenever he's like driving and he has to go a little bit lateral, he can't get any lift. Contorting his body, um, he ha- he cut open for an easy dunk against the Rockets on Saturday, and somehow Christian Woods lazy ass was able to like stretch his arm over as well, Arty went actually, up w- super slow.
0: I actually watched that a few times. Um, if you watch it, like Wood actually does like. He kind of like grabs his waist, and then like oh, with see. his other, other arm, and the yeah, and then he like the the block up top was clean, but he's like definitely holding him back with the other arm. Like, okay. look, I, I think okay. RJ should finish that either way, or at least I, it yeah. was a foul. But like, it's one of those where you're like, okay, it's a foul, but like, it'd be nice if he still finished it, bro. And he's
2: <laughs> and yeah, and he's had a couple of, like takes to the hole like that. La- the end of the game against Charlotte with Hayward, where he barely got off the ground. Um, couple <laughs> yesterday in the first half. One
1: where in tra- he's doing yeah, and yeah.
2: tra- transition like he he had lo- he was attacking Lonzo and he just like went so soft and left the layup short, and then another one where he kind of did his little like sidestep back to the middle of the paint, and instead of dunking it, he tried like this extension layup and again left it short and then missed the putback. Um, you know, some of it is definitely mental and confidence with him, but he just does look noticeably stiffer, slower. He can't beat bigs off the bounce right now he can't get by anybody um whereas beforehand when he had that like that great run it seemed like he was getting wherever he wanted and he was just bodying dudes at the rim. yeah, yeah. um i don't know i know you and i've we've discussed it before he's had these stretches over his first couple years he's where where it's like he looks like heavy legged and just doesn't lax pop. And the first year, you just, we chalked it up as a rookie wall. That's what it was. Um, he had this last year as well. He um, has it a
0: lot on back-to-backs too, I've noticed. Yeah,
2: that. yeah, for sure. It's, it's always the, like the third game and fourth night. I know yesterday it was in the third game and fourth night. Um, he He's one of those dudes that if you notice, just if you watch him on his own, he expends a lot of energy out there. Even though he, you never see him really sweating or out of breath, like – he's sprinting up and down the court when there's not even a transition up opportunity where he could probably like save his energy a little bit more. Cause he's just, oh, he is playing hard and he's trying to see like whatever he can do squeak by maybe for a breakaway layup or something.
0: Maybe he's got to learn from Julius how to conserve. His <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: um, and he's talked about that. I remember like Rebecca Harlow had that piece in one of the games where um, he said, he's learning how to work smarter, where like if a workout was like a half an hour he only needs 20 minutes and he could spend extra time on recovery, just being more efficient with his work and his energy um, being spent. Uh, yeah. I don't know. He just, he, what's striking to me is that how much he's looked like just a regular guy over these last three weeks where Grayson Allen is able to strip him or block him at the rim. Karis Lavert, Franz Wagner has already like outplayed him twice. And these are guys that like, RJ just needs to consistently outplay. Even if he's not shooting well, he needs to be- win that matchup. And he just isn't. And, like, I know I've been getting on him in the Discord, but, like, we need to a- up the standards with him. Like, yesterday, that's great he had 15 rebounds. Like, I don't need him to be Reggie Evans, all right? 15 rebounds is not going to happen every <laughs> game, all right? Like, eventually, you got to hit some shots.
1: Maybe he you can got- be Craig Milikina.
2: Yeah. You can't get caught deep. Yeah, you can't be Frank Ntilikina. You can't get caught deep in the paint with no plan and throwing the ball away. Um, And it's it's time for him to be consistent right now. I really think he is a some nights guy. I gave you that stat showing that even last year, 19 of his 72 games, he shot 33% or worse uh, from the field. That's just unacceptable. If you look at any real true star level wing, they should never. That should be like one every seven games, not you know more than one every four games, and that's really the difference between him being what fifteen, seventeen, eighteen points a game to actually being a twenty point score, cutting out these four for thirteens, these two for twelves, five for seventeens.
0: Well, even if you have games like that, it's like not stringing together. Yes, games you can't like have that. four
2: or five in a row or eight in a row. Um, but but like, yeah, you got to cut it like, down. Yeah, it, it's just it's
0: it's hard because like I don't want to make it seem like I'm making excuses for him, but like you know, just watching him, it's like I've been kind of like it's not, you know, I've actually I've agreed with you in the sense of like, I don't want to hear people talking about like he's injured or whatever but last night just watching it, I was like dude, like this is like, you know, he's missing shots at the rim that like don't even make sense like he's, it was just bizarre and I'm like, and then he's like grabbing and grabbing his arm and stuff, his hand and stuff, I'm like I'm like, he's gotta be going through something and like you know, credit to him I guess in some capacity that like he's willing to play through it for the team, but like If he's hurt, like, I, I like, again, like, another guy, like, this is a perfect game. Like, yes, obviously you would love to beat the Lakers. You go into the break 10 and 8. Not not the break, but you got to get it. Like, the Thanksgiving little holiday we have here. Like, you get to go into that, like, 10 and 8. Like, yeah, it'd be great. But, like, I would much rather lose that game and, like, have Rose come back healthy on Friday. Have RJ come back fresh and ready to go on Friday. Have Taj come back ready and fresh to go on Friday. Like, I would much rather have that than have to deal with, like, you know, Like, like what, what? what's the more valuable thing, right? Like, squeaking out this game tomorrow or having these guys really physically at the top of their shit come Friday? Again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if, like, playing this game is going to make the material difference. But, like, if he's hurt, I would like to see him sit for a bit because, you know, you mentioned it earlier, like, long-term, like, the, you know, you need... like Yeah, long-term, like, we need RJ to be healthy. We don't need him to be gutting out, you know, the fucking game 15 against Orlando at home, you know, like, especially if he's not right, like he's hurting you more than he's helping you. Um, uh, but yeah, like I just look, I, I don't want to make excuses for him, so he's got to pick it up, but I do think he is going through something right now. And I'm somewhat sympathetic to that. Somebody who I've been really hard on, uh, who, you know, uh, Julius Randall, I I can't say I've masked my disappointment with him. Um, but yesterday was like, I thought that was his first, true star game since probably the milwaukee game the one at milwaukee Uh, i know he played really well against philly but like that was like you know pretty you know banged up philly squad uh but like you know last night he didn't get the win but like i thought he played like a star last night um he didn't get a lot of support if you look at the if you look at the box score he's the only starter that finished with double digits i think um and you know he was efficient so I just I just liked how he played yesterday, especially in the second half. Like I thought he really flowed. Like I thought he was getting. I thought he was letting his shot, the shots come to him instead of kind of forcing the shots to happen for himself. And um, that's a really good thing. Like cause he he's a guy who has that tendency to force action, um, especially like if he hasn't had a touch in a while. And I just thought last night he was able to avoid that. Some of that was down to Kemba in the third quarter, like actually running point guard. Um, but like, yeah, I, I was just really happy to see him have a game like that. And I thought defensively for the most part, yes, there were still some like asshole possessions, but like I thought for the most part, you got a version of him yesterday that if he plays like that on most nights, you're, you're taking that, you know, like, okay, yeah, we can work with that. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I was, it's annoying. They lost, but there was just a lot of things in that game that I was pleased to see. Um, and I would say that was first and foremost for me. Um, I don't know about you, Stacey. What did you think about Julius yesterday?
1: Yeah, I mean, he had... Um, he had. I, I thought his, his approach was really good. Um, I think he had a couple more counters. There was that one clip where he kind of... He pivoted all over, busy on Lonzo, a bunch uh, on the baseline, uh, and then finally drew the
0: foul and hit the shot. So um, I was watching that at my friend's place um and he had the bulls feet on and like the bulls announcers were just like stacy king like lost his mind about how good of a like how patient he was he was like he just put like four moves on lonzo that's crazy he was going crazy for it but yeah yeah and
1: and, and i think in general like his he had a great plan there was one eye popping which might have been one of the best passes i've seen julius throw ever um it was in the fourth because iq is only three of the game and it was the same set, you know, post up um, on the left baseline. And it rose an IQ where, uh, you know, we're on, on the opposite end, right? Uh, rose higher towards the top of the arc. Uh, you know, uh, IQ closer to the corner. of uh, the area that Wally Zerbiak once referred to as the witch's nipple. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? Oh, you, this was like on a Wally Zerbiak's first MSG broadcast. The, Wally's a trip. And he's talking about Steve Novak and he's like, Yeah, Steve Novak is just gonna eat. You know, in Minnesota we used to call this the witch's nipple, right where oh the
2: the corner line hits <laughs> the, the arc. And they still gave him a contract after that? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Unbelievable. It
1: was that's it was all cool. it's all because of the eyebrows. That's that's the key. Yeah um, and
0: his fucking fucking quadruple Windsor knot ties. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but the point is on that, like Randall looked off the defender and threw an absolute bullet right at quickly in the shot, shot pocket quickly just instantly and like that bought the window and those are the kinds of things that Randall has been inconsistent in uh he didn't leave his feet I mean he looked like like a QB so uh he had some turnovers early on but I thought that was an outstanding performance um to the extent that we didn't like the process as much late game on offense
0: I don't put that on him to be honest yesterday was one where I just don't put that on him that to me that's that's on Tibbs and that's on yeah, you know, like that's that's on tips, like really, like and and like again, I, I didn't, I understood what he was doing, but I just thought at a certain point, like, like you can use Randall in different ways, you know, like or you can you can hunt different matchups, like you can you don't need to just keep running, like it's like, it's like, coaches when they like want to run the ball, they just like keep running the same plays over and over again, right? Where it's like you can actually run different plays, like you can if you want Randall to get an ISO in the mid post, there's still different ways to go about it. There's still different matchups to hunt. Um, and like the other Don't thing, too is, Josh Gattis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but like, also like the other thing too, is with the guards and ball handlers you have in the team, you can use them to, to challenge the defense in different ways. Even if the ultimate goal is to get Julius the ball in the mid post, like you can't defend the two man game between quickly and Randall, the same way you would defend the two man action between Burks and Randall or Rose and Randall, right? Like, they all provide different challenges. So to me, um, that was just one where you, I would have liked to see a little bit, uh, you know, I just, I just thought he should have been a little bit more creative. Um, but yeah, you know, apparently I'm a huge, gigantic fucking raging negative asshole for saying that. Um, and suggesting,
2: no, you're right. And he didn't give Crusoe enough credit. Like at the end of the day, like I get, I get Crusoe had five fouls, but, I'd rather Julius go on DeMar DeRozan with zero fouls than Crusoe with five fouls. Simple I would
0: rather any... Like, like, who even gets, like... Like, with the, like, the point of adding the pieces we added, right? And assembling the, the talent with... Like, I think a reason they brought back Burks instead of Bullock is also this, right? Is, like, you don't want weak defenders to be able to hide. So, to, like, not use that talent to then punish a team for playing DeMar DeRozan like you have to go directly at him now obviously they're going to send help and like help him out and you know then you have to make then whoever it is has to make the right they, they decision they switched him a lot I
1: think yeah. they, they really want but, but
0: to that's work. what I'm saying is like okay like who who was he guarding I'm trying to think was it quickly uh,
1: no he was not guarding quickly uh, I think they often they often put him on Noel uh, Noel and then if Noel went to the rim they were kind of like zoning but, up a little bit Noel, um, did Noel even clo- he didn't close the game though right um no he did not so the end of the yeah so I, I know when obi was in derozan was on him
0: right and so like to me that's like one
1: where i think he actually had derozan on rj a lot at the end i thought yeah. it was
2: rose because that's was the matchup on the other end
0: yeah i, I just think that, like whoever it is and like if that like you just need to let like especially if it's rose don't just have everybody clear the fuck out and just let him go like or if it's quickly, or if it's yeah, RJ, I hope it's even, even if goes, yeah, like, I done that. I hope it yeah like that, like just I just think that like the point of assembling this talent or this roster was so that you could so you can't hide weak defenders, right? And obviously Evan hasn't played up to st- standard. We all had our issues with Kemba, but like that theory still holds. Uh, and I thought the guys that they had out there to close the game, all in various capacities, can get their own shot, especially against a weak defender. So I just think it's like like you are letting them off the hook by not even like you're talking about pre-switching and that's a fair point, but like, okay, then just avoid that altogether. Right. Like just, just let whoever defend, whoever he's defending, just give him the ball and let him go to work. Um, because quite frankly, like the Mark Rosen has never defended well in his life. Uh, and I don't really give a shit if he's like playing on the top, top 10 defensive team. Like I know, like the Derozan's Rosen's not a good defender. He's never been a good defender. He's got fucking acne. Um, he <laughs> is a fucking dude, like just a complete loser when it counts, which we've consistently he seen got, in his career
1: masterpiece on a scholarship. man.
0: That's true. Uh, throws is a good guy. Uh, but I'm sorry. I, I don't like 17 games in Chicago is not convincing me that all of a sudden, uh, you know what? Greg Popovich couldn't unlock the defensive mastery. That is, that is tomorrow. DeRozan. Like, I'm sorry. Like this idea that like, he's just completely fixed now is insane. Uh, and I just thought, you know, you gotta, you gotta make him work on that end. We didn't make him work, especially in the fourth quarter. Like he just got a fucking pulp. He got a fucking free pass. He he didn't have to do anything. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I don't want to focus too much on that, but I I think we do need to talk a little bit, uh, about Kemba who, you know, um, he's had some inconsistencies, I guess you could say, to start his career in New York. I'm like, where, I don't know. Where where are you guys right now with Kemba? Uh, I'll just leave that as a very open-ended question. I'll let Yusuf take that. Or Omar, sorry.
2: Oh, yeah. So yesterday, I thought it was act- that third quarter was actually the first time I saw him run the offense. Beforehand, it was either he was cooking, like the first quarter in Charlotte, or in that first Philadelphia game at the Garden, um, or just floating, like a 5'11 Frank Nilekina. Um So it was either one or the other, but that was actually the first time I felt like he was running the offense. He was dictating how we were how we were playing as a unit, Um, and that was encouraging. But you know that to that point, it makes me kind of sympathize with Tibbs a bit in the sense that Tibbs is searching as well. Obviously, these players look like they're searching on the court for you know synergy and being able to fit in. But Tibbs like is obviously searching for a solution here because I don't think he. He knows what he can trust, he can get from these guys night to night. And whether if Kemba is going to be assertive or not, if Kemba is willing, to, you know, trying to run offense and actually quarterback this team. Um, and, and I think it's
0: like a bit much to expect. People are like, yeah. well, he should like call plays for Kemba. It's like, dude, that's Kemba's ridiculous.
2: Like, this isn't high school.
0: He's an 11 year pro. Like, what
2: do you got to be like? Horns, Kemba, horns. <laughs> well, like, come on. Like, he, like, Kemba obviously has the system studied and practiced down. It's up to him to make these, to call these shots. And that's why I at the end of games, people are like, why aren't we running pick and roll? Why don't we see any movement? Tips doesn't have a feel of these guys actually knowing how to run offense. So he's going to his safest option right now, which is ISO Julius, try to switch him on to a guy. Spread the floor. And spread the floor and hope for the best. Because he doesn't know what he can get and he's searching for lineups. So, like, how is he supposed to be able to actually run an offense if he can't even find the right lineup?
1: But didn't it feel like early in the season, right? The first few games, everyone was talking about this is a whole different team. There's so much ball movement. Uh, Fournier looked terrific. Um, Kemba's weaknesses weren't quite as glaring at that point, partly because they were winning, but also because there was just so much ball movement that. you know the, the offense was still thriving. Has any, has anything changed? Uh, was, was was that a mirage? Maybe that they were more fluid and
0: more movement around then? I, was, I don't know. But. Was the ball like? Here's something to consider: Was the ball moving better, or were they just making shots off of like the ball movement that was happening? I think
1: I think there was a lot more motion, and they were playing a lot faster. That was my impression from of of the first few
2: games. Omar, I don't know. What I think they definitely I think, were playing with way more pace.
0: So I think like. I I guess, like, for me, I I just, I think the bench has always played with pace. Uh, That's been obvious from the the entire season. Um, But, like, I actually don't agree that the starters have played with pace. I just, like, if you go back and watch that Boston game again, like, the starters didn't play with pace. That's actually why they got off to, like, a bad start in that game. They, They got down by 11 in the first half. They fell down again, I think, early in the second half. And both times, what saved them is OB coming in and, like, energizing them and like really getting them to pick it up. Um and if you go and watch the Orlando game where we beat the fucking breaks off them, uh the starters Kemba was a minus in that game. The starters I think not all of them, but I think there were a few minuses in that game. Uh they got off a really good start, but their third quarter if you guys remember, it was like a 30 point lead, they cut it down to 19, 18, 17, even at 1 point I want to say. Um and then the bench came in, and blew the lead back out. And this is like like they've started games with some pace with motion and stuff, but consistently since the start of the season, they go away from that. And, it, and what exacerbated it, uh, what made it more obvious is that Fournier went ice cold. RJ is completely went ice cold. Randall hasn't necessarily shot the best. Right. Um, on top of that, you've got, you know, Mitch has struggled to kind of like figure his shit out. Uh, but there's just a lot going on. Like, I I just I I really don't think the 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 pace has ever been very good with that starting unit. I think that's why consistently from the start of the season, it's been so clear how much more effective the bench is playing and the player movement and ball movement stuff. Like, I mean, look, I know it's preseason and it's kind of like stupid to bring it up, but like even in that Pistons game and the the Wizards game, there wasn't a lot of ball movement happening. There wasn't a lot of player movement happening, and really, what won those games, like. Again, preseason, so take it for what it's worth. But like the third game, Julius went off uh in the second half because he apparently was like mad that Jeremy Grant existed. Um, and then in the fourth game, like that game looked completely lost, but then the bench came in and did their energizer bunny thing. We played all these small units with Julius and Obi. And like that's what changed those games. The starters in those games looked pretty lethargic, pretty ineffective, pretty slow. Um so I just think that it's a problem with that unit. And this is why like I've been pushing for a change to the unit for a long time. Like ideally I would just, <laughs> I would just put in quickly for Kemba. Uh, but I know that's not an option, which is why I advocated to put Burks in for Fournier uh, because I think that Burks has shown he's like really adaptable uh, the way he plays. And um, I think it's been pretty cool to see like how him and Rose on nights were quickly as a going, they have, like shown, like yeah, okay, we'll just let quickly do his thing, you know. Like we don't need to, like he he can have the ball and we can just play off of it. And I think Burks has shown a lot of versatility. Like he, if you look at his shot distribution this season, um, I mean it's it's pretty great. Like he's basically just shooting threes or shots to the rim entirely, um, just pulling it up right now. Um, but his his shooting, if you just look at it, he's getting uh, let's see, he's getting. Sixty-five percent of his shots right now are from three, and then beautiful, yeah, and then eleven and a half are from zero to three feet, and then three to ten feet is about ten percent. So like, only thirteen percent of his shots are coming in mid range. Everything else is like in the lane, in, in the rim, or at the rim, or from three, and um, you know, like I think he's taking more. More of his threes are assisted this year than has been the case since. when he played in Utah for some of the season in Cleveland um it's it's like the third highest mark of his career in terms of assisted three-point field goals um I, I just like the way he's playing I think he's like he knows how to adapt his game to different usage uh roles and Fournier struggling with that I think he'd have a little bit more latitude with the bench because OB doesn't even though OB has like a pretty decent amount of usage his usage isn't like it's off of actions with other guys, right? It's like playing off of his movement versus doing something with the ball most of the time. Uh, I think Fournier would have more latitude to do that off the bench. So I would like to see that switch. I also think that it would tighten up their defense to start games. And I think Burks has shown like he can pressure guys higher up the floor, uh, you know, in the half court, in transition, whatever, um, more than Fournier can. And I think they need to they need to protect kemba as much as possible like fournier and kemba are different types of minus defenders i think fournier prob- is probably a lot easier to hide and i actually think if you've watched some of the clips that like you know ariel has shared and tom piccolo and benji Ridholtz, like there's been a lot of possessions where you see like fournier actually communicating like what somebody should be doing on defense and then people just don't do it um so i actually think he's got a bit of a bad rap on defense but like he's obviously not the fleetest of foot (laughs) um and i just think like him and kemba together is leaving us a little bit exposed on defense and that's also been an issue that's affecting our ability to kind of close possessions and get out in transition and all these kind of things i I just think they're building on each other so for me uh the kemba thing is interesting because you know at some point you got to consider like well if we have to cover for like I don't know, I just... If IQ wasn't playing at the level he's playing, maybe I'd feel I'd be a lot more patient, but, like, because IQ is playing as well as he is, it's just really hard. Like, what what is Kemba actually better at right now than Emmanuel Quickly? Like, in 2021, what is he better at than Emmanuel Quickly?
1: He is probably still a little bit better at getting to the rim. Uh, quickly doesn't get to the rim that much, right? I think he's quickly might... That would be the main thing. Um, but yeah, other than that, it can be tough. Uh, and maybe slightly better. Kemba does make some nice passes. I do like his like when he catches the ball, that jab step movie has that kind of can throw a defense and allows him to read. He does have a couple of those things, but
0: uh, yeah, I mean, your larger point I think has a lot of merit. Yeah, I don't know. Omar, I know you have many thoughts on Kemba Walker.
2: Uh... Definitely better at shaking the opponent team's employees <laughs> All the, the ushers the ball boys smiling it seems like he has like a you know a long conversation with each of them I don't know how, how he knows so many people around a league like that but uh he is a nice guy um i mean i do think he probably still has a little bit more command of running offensive sets and initiating offense and that's just basically off experience that I would give him that edge over quickly. Um, but, yeah, I don't really think he's actually better than quickly at all. It's it's He's just a name right now. It's sad to say because, I, I mean, he was one of my favorite players in the league. But it looks like it's Kemba Walker out there, but it's just not him. It's not the same guy. And these little guys, even if he looks like he has some gas left, th- their margin of error is way, way, way smaller. Than like a six six, six seven dude. Where if they had a fifteen percent athletic advantage and they dip down to only a ten percent, that five percent difference is all, all the difference of getting their shot blocked or you know, their confidence of being able to get moves off or getting the extra half step that they need. They he needs that full athletic advantage. Just having a slight athletic advantage isn't enough when you're that small. Uh Lonzo
0: Ball had zero points
2: today, by the way, twenty five minutes. Wow. Just throwing that out there. Did they sure. lose? Yeah, they lost by 32. Oh, bre- breaking news. Iman Shumpert won.
0: <laughs> Dancing with the Stars. Um, yeah, like, it's weird with Kemba because you see, like, like you know, we just talked about the third quarter where you're like, okay, there's still something there. Like, he can still get you into these stretches. But, <clears throat> like, when he doesn't do it consistently, it's easy initially to be like, it's mental, he's adjusting to teammates. We're about one-fifth of the way into the season, a little over 20% of the season. If if he's not shown that consistency yet, and this is not like just making or missing shots, right? Like RJ, we're like talking about consistency in terms of making shots, not like actually kind of physically being involved in the actions and, and being engaged. And with Kemba, like, it just feels like mentally half the time, he's just so detached from what's going on and it's really weird like I, I don't even and like i i've kind of i've touched on this a few times but like some of the home games we've had where like the crowd is just like completely out of it with the starters like a lot of that to me is about kemba because you're like like one of the exciting things was like we were all thinking about like oh my god kemba is gonna be so exciting to watch like back at the garden and all this shit and it's like you know, I mean, he's just, like, not doing anything, and the crowd is kind of, like, waiting, it's, like, it's, like, that meme, right, where the guy's poking at the thing, and he's, like, come on, do, do something. something, and, like, that's really what I feel like when I watch Kemba half the time, I'm, like, I'm, like, okay, like, come on, like, let's fucking get in the game here, let's, let's do anything, let's do something, like, what, it's just, I don't know, I can't, I can't really put my hands on it, and fit, and wrap my head around it, but it's, like, I mean, I am concerned. I, I mean, there's no way around it. Like, I've... I, shit, I, I I do think, like, half the time I'm watching, I'm like, he might just be done, man. Like, he, he might just be done as far as... Like, he might not be more than a 15, 20-minute-a-night guy. And he might be off the bench somewhere. Like, I, I don't know. I just... It's really tough to watch him sometimes uh, just kind of, like, getting cardio in. And, and again, like, my issues with him have more to do with, like, offensively than defensively. Because I just think defensively we can we all knew kinda of like what some of these limitations would be. Um and no, I don't think his defense is actually worse than Alfred Baines, so fuck you. Um but like offensively I'm like, dude, what like what's 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 happening here? Like why are you just not shooting? Why is your usage at like a fucking career low? That inquiring minds want to know.
2: Reggie Bullock level usage.
0: Yeah. I mean his usage right now, I'm looking at it. Uh, hold on. It's twenty point nine. I mean, it's by far the lowest of his career. And it's like I understand he's trying to adapt and you know fit in, but it's like, dude, you like he's got to be Kemba. Like, we, he can't be some other guy. He's jo- he's got to be that guy that came out in the third quarter yesterday. That's who he has to be every night. And if yeah, that and means I mean,
1: if he's going to be six foot Reggie Bullock, that's the thing. We have someone who's probably going to be a lot better than that and putting grimes, right. We have another person. I don't know if McBride's shooting will translate right away, but he's shown. I mean, he showed a pretty good (laughs) shot. I don't know if I go that that (laughs) far. Seldom seen, seldom heard. Um, But um, there are other guys who are going to like Kemba. Can't just be a spot up shooter, right? I I think that yesterday he was showed more in terms of savvy and in terms of playmaking and being able to get to the rim. Um, But you know. that's the thing. It's not even really about IQ versus Kemba. It's really the fact that we have two much more capable defenders who have both shown the ability to shoot, one of whom who has some positional versatility to play one to three, perhaps even, uh, who are just not getting minutes on a team that has really struggled with premier defense quite a bit. Yeah,
2: definitely. And what's what's really concerning to me is that when he was in Boston, he was not comfortable or you know, really liking the idea of just being a spot-up shooter off-ball. And now he seems that's exactly what he wants to do a lot of the times. So it's like, is there like a physical confidence thing where he'd just rather hang around in the background and not actually be the one dictating the action? Because this is the antithesis of what his issues were in Boston. Boston is that he wanted to actually run the offense, and he wasn't comfortable just being an off-ball spot-up guy.
0: Yeah, and, and... The other thing too with him offensively is he's like not um you know like he is yes off ball he provides spacing that's great uh it's much better than what elf did off ball but there's a difference between being a floor spacer and actually hunting space to make yourself an option for spot up looks and when i watch kemba off ball he's just like static he's standing in a spot and waiting for the ball to to come to him, and like if for example, no matter how bad R.J. is playing, how bad he's shooting, if you watch him off ball, he is always hunting to find space to make himself available as a, as an option. Um, and sometimes you'll see him get really annoyed because Julius doesn't see him, and he's flailing his arms around, right? Like we've seen that. But he's always hunting that space. Kem, like this is what makes Steph Curry. Steph Curry is like the greatest example of this, right? A guy who's just like he's he's almost. He's harder to guard off ball, I think, than he is on ball because he does not stop moving. He's always trying to find that that space. He's always trying to find the weak spot in the defense for him to make himself available. Um, this is something that like Kyle Lowry, obviously, nowhere near the offensive player that Steph Curry is, but like he also does that very well. Like there are point guards that do this really well. They're just players in general that do this really well. Um, you know, like with Kemba, he's just standing. He's just there on the perimeter if he's not trying to find an angle to make himself an option um and like i mean even quick quickly is really good at that i think like one thing i actually really like about quickly and again not comparing him to steph curry because steph curry is one of one um but like you see when quickly like if you when he drives right and then he passes it to somebody if you watch him he almost immediately sprints back outside and like makes himself available as an option it's not like Steph Curry level, like genius movement, right? He's not, you know, just like ghosting around. And think, but it's, it's very good in that sense. Like, as soon as he gives up the ball, he, he makes sure to move out of the way, clear out, and, and make himself an option to that player again um, and space the floor, or he'll go to set a back screen for somebody. Like, these are the things you have to do when you're off ball, not just stand there and wait for something to happen to you. Like, you have to be active. And um, spacing is nice. Being a better floor spacer than Alfred Payne is certainly nice, but it has to be more than that. And if it's not more than that, like again, to my like, I just really struggle to see what he does at a better level than than quickly. Like, I, I just, it just doesn't really do anything for me.
2: Wow. All right. Oh, um, I was just waiting on Stacy.
0: You, uh, you don't need to yeah. wait. You can just speak.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I agree with you on Quickly and to that same effect of Chris Paul uh sorry Kyle Lowry and Steph Curry obviously he's not as good as those guys yet. Um is that they both br- Quickly brings value on ball and off ball that is versatile in a way that he can play with any other four guys on the court. Any any five man group Quickly could fit just as you could say the same thing about Curry or Lowry. You never have to worry about fit issues with guys like that. Kemba, I think we underestimated that coming in, where we just thought he would seamlessly fit. Like he's just, he's an upgrade over Elf. You know, this shouldn't be that hard. And I think we're now seeing some of the warts of his game being exposed, where, and where we kind of see that he doesn't really play well within a five man group. He kind of needs to, like when he was in Charlotte, he was a one-man show. He he's the start. Allen
0: Iverson. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. He kind of he, you know, but that's his up. You know, that's why we love him because like he brings a lot of that New York City street ball style uh, to the league, and he's been he was successful with it. Um, but now, like when he has to play within a structure, it's much more uncomfortable for him to fit in.
1: Yeah, I mean. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I think Kemba yesterday was important, um, you know, for him. Um, you know, I I think that if he does go to the bench, it'll be because Grimes adds enough to our perimeter defense. But Burks has stepped up. Um, uh, but with quickly, yeah, I mean, I, I've sung his praises for a while. There's not a whole lot more to say. I really think his point of attack defense has gone from. Like if you talk about a guy like Devontae Graham, it's like where he's undersized but he'll fight and he's competitive and he it's like i FV- am I'm
0: his- I'm just gonna throw this out there. It's like Fred Van Vliet level of
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. And that is a comp
1: that quite a few people made about quickly um going back to the draft. So yeah. um
0: I mean you guys can all Stacey you can thank me for uh putting you on a manual quickly before the draft, so
1: I, I'm the one who wrote that thesis, so <laughs> um but so I think that that's that's a little different, right? Um, you know, the, the question is going to be: Is there a he has improved his strength? By the way, that's something we haven't talked about as much. But he's his athleticism
0: good. is better; like he's definitely quicker. He's, he's
1: quicker, but he also doesn't get bumped off his yep. drives. Nor does he, like if you see all the times is willing to mix it up. Like his his help rotations, by the way, are really good. When he tags the roller, he's getting that passing lane. A couple of times last night, he was unfortunate with foul calls. But that's actually something that you do not expect to see from a 6'2 guy. Last year, he was making those rotations, but he's so small that guys would just go over him. Now he has more strength um, that, that I think is a little underrated. Can so I just can,
0: say, uh, just real quick, what my favorite stat of his this year is? What? His free throw rate last year was 30%, 0. .300. It's up at 27% this year. And that's and with could, the new foul rules that everyone yeah. said would hurt him. So Yeah, and so... Yeah, I mean, his, his true shooting is 55.6. It was 55.7 last year. Like, and it's trending. I mean, I just, I, I don't know, man. I have... And he Sometimes went a it, shooting
1: slump, right? He's still only shooting 36% from three. So he's maintaining his efficiency despite shooting worse from three.
2: Yeah, that's after a, a horrific seven-game slump to start the season where, you know, most of the fan base was ready to give up on him. And he's turned it around quickly. No pun intended. Yeah, Um <laughs>
1: So and so anyway, I mean, I don't know what he looks like long term. I do think the Knicks front office has to. Here's the thing: the long term issue, right? Kemba is probably is at best a stopgap. Um, you have Rose, who has who gives you something like a, a, a starting point guard. We don't know how many years that's going to last, and then we know that finding a point guard in the. I think that the Knicks are trying to find their franchise point guard. Uh, I think that there's it's no coincidence. They could have easily just had quickly focus on becoming a better off-ball player, uh, but they made it a point to get him more reps on ball in summer league. Uh, they've gone to point quickly quite a bit this year. Uh, they have closed games even with him as the only guard on the floor. I mean, they'll run a lot of the offense through Burks. I think that is something in the long-term planning the Knicks have in their mind that maybe he's not a quote-unquote point guard long-term, but they're, gonna, they're damn sure going to find out and they're going to squeeze every ounce of development. And he's going to, I mean, you know that he's going to squeeze everything out of himself that he has. Um, and then you add to that the fact that they drafted McBride and, and um, Rokas, who, who are both promising young prospects. But I think that is the vision for them. Um, but even if that doesn't quite come to fruition, right? Let's say he just never becomes a guy who can turn the corner, um, you know, that consistently. His defense means that he you can start him. And to, to Omar's point, um, those kinds of guys who can shoot like that move without the ball, defend two positions, um, be pluses in help defense. Um, you know, even if they're not a, a primary ball handler, you can play them at six. You can start them at your guard position. The last thing I'll say also is they're still low hanging fruit for him on offense. There was one drive in particular. So on the one hand, this was a, a nice drive. He ran a pick and roll and Zach Levine was guarding him. Levine got caught on a screen and for all the improvements, Levine, Has made on defense. This was vintage Zach Levine on that screen. He just died and quickly had a lane, but he kind of did like this weird circuitous thing where I don't think he realized the advantage he had, floated out to the three point line. And then when he realized, he tried to go to the hoop, but that gave Levine enough time to recover. Now, the great thing is after Levine recovered, quickly um, stopped, pivoted, and hit a mid range jumper, a true mid range jumper, not a floater. So that's very encouraging. But the next step is, you know, for a guy who doesn't have quite their deer fox type well fox is playing bad this year but like that crazy elite blow by speed that advantage recognition will help him because his handle is there and he does have explosiveness but being able to like the difference between getting to that six foot to eight foot area and now his playmaking has made it so that he doesn't have to settle for floaters of the time that the the cherry on top will be he can actually muscle through or he can get all the way through and then you know use some creative finishes and that is the thing that you're still looking for, but um, but th- there's no reason to believe when you've seen the steps he's taken that that won't come.
0: I also like that he's just taken less floaters this year. Yeah. I think that was a really big step for him. Like, like it's muscle memory too, right? It's hard to not take shots that, I mean, I don't know. I think he's been taking these shots he's talked about since high school. Like, in in college, I believe the floater was – a huge part of his repertoire, also, and it should be a,
1: a counter. It's a good shot for him, but it has to be a counter. It cannot be your bread and butter.
0: Right, right, right exactly. And um I think it's important for him to 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 keep. He actually wasn't. I think it was against Houston. I want to say he had a mid range shot in yeah. the fourth quarter, coming off like yes, a screen. Yep. That was actually yeah.
1: a very difficult shot because he yeah. came across the lane. He he dribbled across the lane. He had to stop his momentum going perpendicular to the basket turn and then hit that. And when he, when he shot that and there was a contest. So when he shot that, I was like, Oh, that's definitely short. And that, that is a really hard shot to make um, the footwork yeah. and the strength required to get that off and hit it.
2: Yeah. That shot and a couple mid-rangers that uh, he hit at least two, he hit two mid-rangers yesterday. Right. Um, I think that's actually proof of the strength gains and.
1: And the, he had that one and, and one too. Yeah right? And the improvement
2: he, in his athleticism where he could actually now hit the brakes. And gather himself under control and rise up for that 15-foot jump shot. When before it was just like he'd have his momentum forward. It's just easier to, to go off one foot and try to float float it up. Um, I, yeah, physically he's been. That might be actually his his biggest leap this season is just physically how much better he looks. That first step is lightning quick to me. And Stacey, I know you were at the game on Wednesday, um, but like seeing him uh, also. On Monday against Spacers, standing next to Deuce McBride, and Deuce McBride's a, like is a solidly well-built uh, kid. Like that's one of his, you know, um, he's a football player. Yeah, he's, he's, he's was one of, he's quarterback, quarterback in high school, and <laughs> quickly was actually like noticeably like thicker than him, especially down low. Pause, but um,
1: <laughs> but no, like, his his the, he,
2: <laughs> <laughs> his, uh, his quadriceps. Uh, circumference was, uh, noticeably, uh, larger than, uh, than Deuce. And I think like, yeah, like he kind of had this reputation coming out of Kentucky as this slight kid. But even if you see like his Instagram, like he's deadlifting, like mad plates on each side. And, um, he just, he looks stronger, like just eye test wise and watching him, he is not getting pushed off his spot. He's getting to any spot he really wants to. Really, I think that final piece for him is kind of figuring out when he gets deep in the paint, how does he actually go up into a big man's chest, or um, or, or mix it to... up with
1: some of those no jump layups, right? The yeah, the no jump
2: of layups right? off one, you know, one foot or two feet. Or I think really like what he's going to add to his game is that little reverse layup package that you've seen like Derrick Rose like perfect over the years and maybe that's something Derrick Rose can like pass on to him. Um, Because I think that could be a real great weapon where he gets that half step and kind of uses the rim as his protection from the rim rim protector.
1: Yeah, and that's where you don't really need – I mean, Rose makes it look great because he is a great athlete, partly. But you don't need that level of athleticism, right? It's more about the timing because once you can use the rim to protect yourself from the shot blocker, you don't need to go that high, right? You just need to hang long enough to get yourself to the other side of the rim. So.
0: Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like I, I think where you could, the play where I really noticed, wow, he's definitely stronger. Uh, There was a play against um, the Pacers where TJ McConnell was just like dry humping him. And for like 10 seconds and quickly just kept like dribbling and handling and kept going around. And like, he finally drew a foul, but it was like, it was like, like he, it was and TJ McConnell's obviously not the strongest dude in the world, but like if somebody's just like on you like that, it can really knock you off your spots and it just didn't. And I think like when you see that, um, you know, I think you're just seeing him like now he's kind of understanding how much stronger he is. And I think it's giving him confidence to like take guys on that maybe he wouldn't have had the confidence to do last year. Um and yeah, I mean look, I just think I I have like scary thought sometimes about what his upside is because like when he gets hot you just see those stretches where you're like it feels like he can just win you the game in five minutes right it's like oh god he's gonna take this lead from like five to 15 just like that and um that's a very rare ability like to just have like to have that type of explosiveness as a scorer um it's it's pretty special um you know he's 22 years old still a ton of time for him to develop in his career but like you know you take a kid 25th like the Knicks did and he's already this good um like I just like I I, Macri had a tweet you know about whatever the fuck it was just all these great things about about him and I like I kind of I mentioned I I said it I I was like I just really don't think people have a strong conception yet even like even us as Knicks fans like it's like very hard to wrap your mind around what you're watching because it's like like he he doesn't necessarily play like a high usage role all the time but like you see those flashes and it's it's just like really hard to like recalibrate because what you're expecting from like like what is a good 25th pick right like it's a guy that knocks down shots defends like is a good cog in the system and so like that's kind of like what I was hoping for initially when he came in, like I knew he had some shot creation upside um, because of my own personal research that I did and uh, spread to the masses uh, for the draft. Um, shout out myself. Um, definitely not Stacy that did any of that. Um, but uh, yeah, like I, I just think that when you start seeing the things he can do, it's just hard to recalibrate it. Cause you're like, wait, he was a 25th pick. Uh, and like, we've seen it now with the Sixers were like, maxi is like popping off right And people are like holy shit like this guy's a lot better than you know you would expect from a player at that position and i don't think quickly has gotten their recognition yet largely because of kind of you know uh, like omar talked about he can fit in so many groups that like it almost hurts him in a way because he can play so many different types of roles like it's kind of like the burks thing right where burks can play he can up his usage of times he can play off ball he can spot up he, there's so many things you can do with guys like him and uh, I just think that, like, because of that, there's not a fully, like, we still don't fully appreciate just how good uh, Quickly
2: can be, and
0: really, I think, is
2: already. With that being said, what do you think is, and that's to both of you, Sean and Stacy. what do you think is the ideal long-term backcourt mate for him? What's the archetype? Uh,
0: so I was actually just going to transition in this because we've been talking about this uh, for a bit uh, all day. Basically, and the discord is like, you know, look, like the I'll do a little segue. Kings fired Luke Walton, uh, which long time coming. Um, De'Aaron Fox. I don't know. I'm sure you guys saw that clip of him talking about like, you know, uh, it's kind of like it's not the playoffs yet. So uh... <laughs> like Luke
2: Luke doesn't doesn't box out.
0: Yeah, like it, it's defensive
2: rotations, no shit, bro. Like, you know, <laughs> that wasn't the question.
0: But um, like, he looks disillusioned. I think is probably the best word to say it. Um, which understandable. You Sacramento has been quite a shit show for the most of his career there. Very nixy. Um, I I don't think this new front office I have is necessarily committed to De'Aaron Fox. Um, if I remember correctly, the extension is he, he got. Like Sorry, what was that?
1: Does Vivek
0: like him? That's what matters, right? Uh, Yeah, that's true. Uh, Our good buddy Vivek, um, who is doing a good job of representing the Indian uh, community with his ownership of the Kings. Um, But, like, I I don't think they're necessarily committed to him. If I remember correctly, Divak is the one that gave him the extension uh, before he was fired. And... You know, uh, I I do think that like this new front office they have, they've been kind of trying to like take their time to make decisions and figure out what they're going to do with this roster. Like, I know people like people dismissed it, but like it's not a ringing endorsement of the guy that you have as your franchise point guard, presumably, if you draft Halliburton and Mitchell back to back. Like, you can keep telling me they were the best guys on your board and you like the way they can all fit together and stuff. But like, to me, they just, like, that's not a ringing endorsement. You don't do that. Like,
1: careful what? with the, the the Mitchell slander with Omar here. By the
0: way, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've I've actually like, generation perimeter defender. Yeah, look, I look. I've I've actually been really impressed with him when I've seen him uh, this year in the NBA. I know his shooting percentages. I don't even know what they are, they are right now. I know they've been kind of up or down, but don't like matter. Yeah, his defense really pops when you watch him. Like I'm and I'm impressed by. The multiple positions he's shown the ability to defend because I thought, I think, stacy that was one of your concerns about his defense, right? Was like, well, is he going to be able to defend twos and threes? Like, or is it just going to be, he's going to be defending ones. um From what I've seen, he seems pretty versatile. Um, so shout out to him. Maybe he's got like, he's got that like quickly to him a little bit, right? Like, where he's, you know, just because he's smaller, he still has the ability to defend multiple positions. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just think that, like, if they're not committed to him, he's an interesting player because some of his metrics really suck. The defensive metrics, to them really suck. Um, he's obviously not shooting well at all. Stacey, you mentioned that, <laughs> like, he is shooting just completely off a cliff this year. Um, but like, I, there's still something there. Like, his speed is you can't teach that. His ability to just break down a defense, even in a half court setting and get into the rim and scramble it. He's a terrific
1: passer and finisher with elite speed. Like, that's, that is, you know, I mean,
0: yeah. Like, would you take him over a guy
1: like Colin Sexton? I still would. Easily. Like, that's, and that's not a knock on Sexton. I'm playing
0: twice on Sunday. Yeah. I'll I'll knock on Sexton. I don't think Sexton's a good player. Like, I, 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 like, understand the upside and maybe he gets there and whatever, but like, I'm just like, I don't think Sexton is a guy that I'm interested in at all. Right. Fox uh, is a different got...
1: kind of talent. I think that's the point, right? Yeah. Uh, Fox, whatever Fox. is going on, I'm willing to write that off because elite speed, very good passing ability. He's consistently finished in upper 60% at the rim, uh, which for a guy's size is really remarkable. Gets there a lot, gets the foul line a lot
0: career uh very nice uh, a career very very nice 69 percent finisher at the rim according to basketball Reference. i mean he's
1: kind of like he's kind of like shea without the pull-up shooting you know Um, yeah he's
0: and he's like different he's he's he gets to the rim in a totally different way than shea right because he's like so speedy the one thing with him too that i think is worth noting is like yeah you can tell me the impact metrics suck and i agree with that but The biggest thing they sucked for
1: Halliburton last year too, by the way. That team just sucks.
0: (laughs) Right. And and here's the thing. His second year in the league, like, they were good. Like his impact metrics were good. And that was the one year of his career where he had a good coach. They had Dave Yeager. That team was like looking like they could be a playoff team until they made the Barnes trade at the deadline. Um like that's it. That's the only sample size we have of him under a coach who isn't a fucking idiot. Because, like, whatever you want to say about... He never played, played from Malone, right? No, he never played from Malone. Right. Um, I just... Like, to me, that's a guy... Yes. I, is it a risk? Absolutely. But, like, you have to take risks, right? And, like, the Knicks aren't going to be in a position in the draft, most likely, to draft somebody with the ability to, you know... Uh, with that type of kind of speed and finishing ability that you, and passing uh, that you touched on. Stacey. I also so, think
1: I, I out of college, I actually was a fan of his defensive potential. Same, same. Um So I, and I do think that if you put him under a guy like Tibbs, there's hope for that too. So
0: I just think it's not even necessarily Tibbs. It's like getting him in an environment that doesn't just like, I mean, the, like I'm not saying that like the Knicks obviously have been a terrible environment for years too, but like, I do think it's obviously different right now with Tibbs, even amid their struggles this season. Uh, Like, I just think you take him out of there, you bring him to the new, to New York. Like if you could get him in New York with like Kenny Payne, with the whole Kentucky shit going on, like, I really think that would like, that would be a much different situation for him. And also what I will say is this is, you know, we've talked about this a bunch, right? How slow the starting unit is, like how we, how much we benefit from playing faster. Like, Fox is a guy who will, like he, I think he's like such a perfect fit in a lot of ways for what this team needs. Um, I know it's easy to be like, well, you need a spacing, you know, you need to get floor spacing off of Julius and Fox can't really shoot, and like, yeah, but I also think it benefits Julius when you have a guard that can just penetrate and doesn't need a screen also to penetrate and just like take guys off the bounce, get into the get into the paint, and all of a sudden now you're putting a defense in rotation, like. I think that would benefit Julius it benefits everybody right we've seen it with Rose right and Rose is not even close to what he once was physically but just the fact that he can still do that with a with relative consistency um you can see the impact that has and yeah i'm just like i don't know i, I guess if there is a qu- like you know, to answer your question Omar about who like fox is a guy with quickly like i would love to have the opportunity to see those guys play together because i do think um they would fit together very well and my evidence would be like how well quickly has fit with derrick rose and how well he played with you know uh tyrese maxi in college um so yeah i mean that that's my long and short of
1: Aaron fox um that was kind of going to be my answer uh, tyrese maxi would be a fun one to pair with him uh very good oh, okay.
0: but i guess like here's here's a question so you know we just talked a bunch about fox what would you be willing to offer Right. uh to get the Aaron Fox. Assume assuming like forget the salary part of it because we know the Knicks have salaries to like make any trade work, but like what are you willing to give up in terms of young players, picks? Like what what do you what does that look like?
2: Uh, I'll let Omar take that first. You sure you want to ask me that?
0: <laughs> so Kevin Knox is off the table.
2: Oh God. Please <laughs> If they if they're willing to take him, I'll, I'll attach attach an extra couple first round picks just to get him off the team. <laughs> I don't care if it's bad business. I just can't stand seeing his face on the bench anymore. Um, I probably wouldn't open it up, or this would be my first offer. But would I be willing to include RJ in the deal? I'd have to consider it. Depends how much else I'd have to give up. Um, but what I would try to get him with, my goal would probably be OB, whatever salary filler you need, three, four first-round picks. And if they want Deuce as well, or Grimes, or or maybe some Serbian connection between Vladi and, and uh, Rokas. <laughs> is he Serbian? I know he's, is Lithuania part of, considered Serbian? Wow. You're no,
0: I don't racist, think so. man. No, I, all over sorry, the
2: place. I don't know all... Uh, I'm not completely uh,
1: There's Lucas I don't understand Lucas going on.
2: Yeah, so um, whatever it is, but like obviously I try to keep RJ quickly um, and Randall Mitch. out. Um, you, what about Mitch? Yeah, they can have him. I mean, I don't think the Knicks plan on really keeping him around the way it looks. Um, and honestly, like, is does he have any trade value? Who? Mitch, Mitch Robinson.
0: I think it's it's very hard. It, he he won't have much right now. Not because like I don't think it's about whether he's good or not. It's just like you, the contract situation and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, um, it's I, really I just think cause, like if you look at Jared Allen last year, he based, all he fetched in his restricted free agency year was like a pick in the twenties. Right. Right. And Mitch is unrestricted this summer. I don't I don't know if he he'd fetch a first. Like if you were just flipping him, you know, one for one. Um, so I'm just going off like what would actually be a value to the Kings. I think, he, I think the starting point would have to be OB, the salary filler, three first round picks. And then it's no, we got to compromise from there. What else do you want to include?
1: I mean, do you consider Burks salary filler? Cause I mean, Burks is a uh, good player. Uh,
2: uh, Kawhi Burks, are you kidding me? The, the bench, the bench version of Kawhi Leonard, you know, quiet, no social media, doesn't like to do interviews. No, uh, I would try. It would probably be
1: because they Fournier, they might ask. For the, it would
2: probably be. Four, four, I think Fournier would be the easy one to go because then you could just start quickly, right off the jump. Right, but the Kings may prefer Burks. Right, it's hard no.
0: But like, but like, you need they would need salary. So like, it's yeah, it's Fournier.
1: like there's they, salary filler, and there's also the fact that usually these kind of trades are structured where you do have to send a good veteran piece, an additional good young player, right? So who does that veteran piece end up being? Do you don't think he
2: qualifies
1: as that? Um, I think if you look at it from a larger perspective, and I do think he'll play better from now on. Sure. Um, do you think his value has been hurt by kind of his start to this year and like last year, not really finishing the year that strong?
0: I I don't know. I, I think it gets exaggerated because he's in New York, but like, you know, um, he has a track record. Yeah, I, I think he, I think his I don't think his value is significantly hurt. To answer your question, no. Okay. Um, yeah. But, so, I mean,
1: it would probably, but you're probably one of those guys, which I guess I wouldn't consider pure salary filler just because, like, that. there's value to that, right? It's not just a match.
2: Just definitely. Salary. And you'd have to get to about 24 million in salary sending out to get uh, Fox in here. I think he's around 30 million. In the,
0: I mean, like, you could just do, reward. I'm just looking at this right now. You could do, um, uh, you could do Obi Knox, Fournier i know knox o- isn't a value but it's expiring salary right so it's done after this year um ob is on a rookie deal obviously with two more years after this one fournier is just the filler to, to get you know get you up to that number and you know then you start throwing picks in like look here's the thing with ob2 and this is why it's so fucking annoying that we don't play that like he hasn't played more is like maybe he isn't gonna be with the knicks forever right but um there's still a value to playing him more because the way he's playing, he's gonna up his value. Uh I, I really think like he's been eye opening to Knicks fans, obviously. But even like I've seen people randomly tweeting about him around the league. And it's like, you know, he he's definitely like improved and, and he's cheap. Like he's he's making five million this year. He's probably gonna make what, six and a half or whatever the fuck it is yeah. in the next couple of years. Um and and again, cost controlled rookie deal, like th- this is like a not 'cause it's not like some this is not the same Obi that we were talking about last year as like you just throw them into any trade. Well here's right? another You're
1: question then. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but so here's a question of that, right? Um, I, I also think in terms of McBride and Grimes and Rokas, the, the Kings part of the reason they would trade Fox, I would imagine, is that they do have a log jam of young guards. Um, so that's why a trade around Obi would would make sense. But let's say they want to compete more quickly, right? They feel like Halliburton's improved. Um, you know, they have some guys, Rashawn Holmes is a good player. Um, what if they want a different power forward from the Knicks? Uh, you know, perhaps an all-star on a pretty friendly deal. You would not give that. That, that,
0: that that to me like defeats the purpose. Well, I mean, if you
1: don't have to, maybe they, maybe at that point, they have to attach a pick to Fox or something, right? Maybe the trade ends up a lot better for us, but then you move Obi in the starting lineup and then you kind of transition to, to that team.
0: I would, I would really struggle to, to, to deal. Like I, Fox hasn't done enough for me to to do that. Like I, I just, it's still an upside play in a lot of ways that you're making. It's a bet. I know that Julius hasn't necessarily been at his best to start this year, but I also think that like he's been better than Fox. Uh, like yeah. he's been not insignificantly better than Fox this year. Um, like you know, we're talking about Julius Randall's down year right now he's still 20 10 five assists um, 35% from 3 like that's not great it's not it's a lot better than fox um you know like and he makes less than fox yeah he makes a lot less than fox like not not an insignificant amount so um it, i just i don't know to me it's like if you're making the trade for fox the point is that's yeah, a win now type of move so, so, so the so,
1: reason why i bring it up is because if we did pair fox with randall how good is that pairing um I think Fox and Obi could be a lot of fun, actually.
0: Oh, that's um, great.
1: But, um, and, and I guess that that is the kind of, I feel like you should be able to ask this question without it being Randall slander, right? But I still, as good as he's been, because of his style of play, I'm still struggling to see if he is, what his role is on a contender, right? On a true contender, which then makes it seem like at some
0: point we are going to have to move him too, right? Um, I don't know. Like, I, again, it's it's hard to say because
1: I mean, is it him more as a roller? Is it him more at the five? Uh, at that point, are you diminishing him too much? And what he does great, which is a floor raiser on offense, those are kind of because, like, I don't think you can. If he is, if you have a heliocentric offense around Julius Randle, I think oh, that's that team has. There's a that, there's a ceiling to that offense, and he's not giving you enough on defense to make that. Worthwhile, So you're probably not a championship team at that point. You're maybe at best, if you max that out, you're something like the Raptors before they broke through with Hawaii. So, um, and then if you take him off ball and you make him a role man, can he, I mean, can he be something like Sabonis in that role? Does that give you a different ceiling? Maybe. I think that might actually be ideal. And that's why, that's what you'd hope for if you paired him with someone like Fox. But, um, you know, that's that's also a bit of a, an unknown and if, if, if you do feel like, yeah, it's either Julius, end of the day, like you're either going to get kind of not peak value from Julius or you're going to ISO him. It seems like you'd have to trade him at some point.
2: Yeah, and that's what makes it tough, Stacy, because, you know, and it makes it more frustrating when you see Obi only getting 13 minutes yesterday because not only do we want to see him more, for maybe, you know, up to up is trade value potentially, we want to actually see what we have here. Like, if down the line we need to move on from Julius, can Obi take the keys and be our starting four of the future? And, um, but, you know, in a vacuum, yeah, I probably would actually do like a Randall for Fox straight up. But man, that would just be, it would just be bad business. Like, after the year, last year, we're really going to ship him to Sacramento. How yeah. fucked up is that? <laughs>
0: yeah it's just it's a it's a trade that like you can talk about it and it's i don't think it's slander um but like in the actual business of the n b a you could never make that trade if you're the knicks like like I know people always bring up the Blake Griffin one like oh well, the clippers traded Blake Griffin if they gave him a fucking five year deal like okay but like i i i really don't think the Knicks are the same thing as what the Clippers situation was I also think they had a pretty strong idea they were getting Kawhi for sure um so that's different like like you know, the point of having a Julius is um one you believe in him you believe that what he did last year wasn't some fluke and two like he's kind of like there to help be a draw to guys right, in the it's, it can't just be that last year wasn't a
1: fluke right it has to be if he draws that guy in be it Dame, be it Donovan Mitchell, that he's able to adjust and be that, you know, be a still bring that kind of value, um, but in, in a role that would make more sense on the kind of team that can contend for a championship, right? Right. Um, um, otherwise you end up because I think this is like last year we kept talking about, well, what if you do get Beal and Dame and Randall, right? Or Beal and um, anyone short of Kawhi, that kind of thing, and Randall and I think we would always keep coming down to like, yeah, I don't know if that team defends enough. I don't know if it really adds enough on offense, or you know, if it works out. And maybe that's us overthinking it, right? I mean, we probably overthought the Bulls, right? At some point, you put good players out there, they figure it out. So maybe that's what I'm doing with Randall. But um, but that's it's it's because it, it can't just be replicating last year. It has to be evolving uh, and being the kind of person that can fit in with with other stars because he can't be the only star on a team. He's not Giannis.
0: Um, I, I just, I, I really don't know how to answer the question because this is another frustration of like how Kemba has been playing is like, we would have a better idea of this if Kemba was playing with more force, right? Like, cause we saw yesterday in that third quarter, like, and we've seen when Kemba does take it upon himself to be more, um, more of a driver offensively, um, that, that Randall in that role man spot, like he can be devastating. Like he can really add a special dynamic to an offense. Um, But we haven't had the ability to see it more because of some of the issues. And like, that, so that's on him too. Like, I don't want to make it seem like I'm just putting it all in Kemba as much as um, those in the discord might think that. Uh, But like, I, I do think that, um, you know, like obviously Randall has to improve his decision-making, his, kind of like end, uh like let's say late clock uh choices but like again i just want to see it like i wanted i i would never make i just couldn't make that trade because to me the entire like if you're trading for fox the point is to be as good as you can be now and i know that the on-off stuff is great for ob and terrible for randall and all this shit but like i really have a hard time saying ob is a better basketball player than julius and like that's fair. Yeah, and I know there's, like, you know, body language stuff and whatever, but, like, you know, I guess I'm just giving Julius a benefit of the doubt because I don't think what he did last year should be taken lightly, even though, you know, it was 2,000 people in the arena and all this shit. Like, like, you know, what he did last year was really spectacular. Uh, It it put the Knicks back on the map, if we're being completely honest. And, you know, um, I guess I just, like, to me, like, I would bet on Fox being able to come in and give us a boost in an area that we need and upping the pace and bringing something to the table that would help julius and alleviate like like alleviate what we're asking of him um you know because like i don't want julius to have to average six five six assists like i, I don't want that that that's actually what what i would like to try to avoid and i think fox does that he helps you alleviate that playmaking load and i think it's also worth noting that like julius you know as much shit as he gets for how slow he plays when he plays with the guards who play faster on the team like quickly in rows their pace goes up and he plays faster like this is not a coincidence like i i think he would benefit from a faster pace too um and having to do less and having less responsibility and i like i whether this is right or wrong i feel like some of his kind of early season let's call it less than stellar instances of body language and kind of you know iso modes and struggling to find the balance between playmaking and finding his own shot like i think some of that is being frustrated that he's still having to create so much because these advantages are not being created for him um and fox just the way he plays like you're betting that what he brings to the table can ease that for Julius and for the rest of the team. And like, is he a sure fire hundred percent thing that's going to work out? No, but like, that's why you might be able to get him right. Like that's why there's an opportunity perhaps. Um, and I'm like, I look, I, I flat out don't think he's off the table or anything like that. Like, I think the Kings would entertain trade offers for him. I don't think that they've set a course on what they think is the best option um, to build the team as they go forward. Uh, and I think part of the reason they've drafted two point guards is because of that uncertainty. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I, I think uh, that all makes sense. I do think at some point, though, yeah. that answer to that question—uh, you know, what is Julius's role on a championship team—combined with do quickly and and RJ hit really as as uh, as real pe- like not just their good young players but potential stars. And Knox, <laughs> yeah, and Knox, <laughs> easy, easy. Um, the Knox for Fox trade, right? Their names rhyme. <laughs> they both went to Kentucky. <laughs> that seems pretty fair. Um, but I think that those answers could, like, I yeah, know, like, and it's tough. And I would hate to trade Julius too, but I think it's something to monitor long term. Though I do agree, right now, you'd still probably you trade LB first.
0: Fox is actually having a good game tonight, by the way.
1: I'm like uh, DeRozan. Shit, where he used up all of his mid-range power against us.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. Like, it's kind of funny. I've I've made this joke today, but like, I kind of think we're the Bulls' Super Bowl this year. Like, I really think they like they like really feel the need to get up for that game and like really compete against us. Um, whereas with the Knicks, it's like yeah, they've gotten up for the Bulls, but as we know with this team. Uh, They only get up for teams that they feel are good and teams that they think suck. They decide to not try uh, against and blow games that are stupid. Um, But uh, I think that's a good place to end the show. Unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about, touch on before we get out of here, Stacey. I'm good. Great. Awesome. Uh, All right. Well, I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. Um, what, are you guys doing? Anything fun?
2: Uh nothing fun. Watch to, uh the Strickland mailbag. <laughs> Maybe if you guys are doing one.
0: Uh, that's up to Zach and, and Matt and that whole crew. Uh watching
1: some uh watching Michigan against Ohio State and trying to stay off Twitter.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that'll be not on Thanksgiving, which is nice. Uh the Bills play on Thanksgiving and it would be nice if they won because they actually didn't play a game last Sunday. Is what I'm sticking to. Um, yeah, they, they, uh,
1: if they had played, they didn't look very well.
0: If yeah, right they, but they didn't play, so you know <laughs> it, it happens. Um, but yeah, that that's it. Uh, that's our show for today. Uh, thanks to everybody listening, and uh, everybody have a great Thanksgiving. Everybody have be safe tonight before Thanksgiving, uh, and uh, yeah, have a great week. I will see everybody on Friday.